Jesus once said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Opposition and persecution towards followers of Jesus has always existed since Jesus. And it exists whenever the gospel is preached. According to the Open Doors website, one in eight Christians worldwide is persecuted for following Jesus. And the vast majority are located in countries in what is known as the 1040 window. That is countries that fall within the latitude of 10 degrees and 40 degrees north. And that persecution can take many forms. Rejection by a community, constant surveillance, uh, imprisonment uh, by the state, interrogation, uh, kidnap, torture, forced denouncing of faith in Christ, being treated as second-class citizens, violent beatings and even death threats against family members, murder or execution. Now, living in Australia, unlike many of our brothers and sisters in these countries, uh, I have never experienced any of these forms of persecution. Uh, The worst that I might encounter is at the awkward dinner party conversation when someone asks me what I do for a living. And usually when I say pastor, the conversation fizzles out not long after. That's not really persecution, is it? But even here in Australia, there is an increasing hostility towards the gospel. For example, our young people who follow Christ will find often in high school and university Well, it's more hostile to Christian beliefs than ever before. With increasingly different views, particularly on gender and sexuality, a young Christian making a stand for Jesus, sharing the gospel of Jesus in the most loving and respectable way, might still be considered a hateful bigot. Well, how should we think about persecution for the gospel? In our society, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, as we look at these uh, words of Jesus, Father, please open our hearts, our minds, that we would know and love the Lord Jesus and that we might be willing to imitate him, to suffer for his sake and his gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've seen how Jesus' compassion for the lost sheep leads him to tell the disciples to pray to God to raise workers for his harvest so that his workers can proclaim the gospel knowing that they will face persecution and knowing that they need to persevere in the face of that persecution, whether that comes from their families or from their society. And that's what we'll be looking at particularly this morning, is persevering in persecution by being faithful and being fearless. Now, the first thing to note is that Christians should expect persecution. Verse 16, be on your guard, you'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought uh, before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Now, it shouldn't surprise us, should it, when we see increasing opposition to Christian belief in Australia. 
whether that's in the media or in the legislative assemblies of our country, uh, whether that's in our high schools or universities or workplaces. Now, often we are a bit surprised. Often we wring our hands at the loss of our freedoms. But there has always been opposition to the gospel in our society, including from authorities, as Jesus says. Uh, The ancient historian Tacitus records that the Emperor Nero blamed Christians for the great fire in Rome in AD 64. And as a result of the persecution, Christians were set on fire to light garden parties. Christians were fed to the lions at the end of gladiator matches. And through the rest of the next 250 years, at different periods under different emperors, Christians were persecuted until Constantine came to power. How should believers behave when facing such cruel persecution? We should be faithful. We should be faithful to our master, Jesus. Verse 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household? The Pharisees hated Jesus. In fact, they call him Beelzebul, the prince of demons, Satan. And Jesus is making the point that if they can do this to me, the master, well, then expect them to do that to you, the students. To follow Jesus is to willingly walk a path of self-denial and suffering. As Jesus says in verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Yes, it's true that the cross opens the way for us to have relationship with God, but the cross also shows us the way we must live in response, a willingness to suffer for Jesus' sake. The Apostle Peter, who was most likely martyred during the reign of Emperor Nero, wrote this to his readers in 1 Peter 2. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It shouldn't surprise us, should it? Jesus walks a path and he expects us to walk that path as well. Jesus says in verse 16 that he is sending out his sheep among wolves. And that should remind us of Isaiah 53, where the prophet reminds us that Jesus himself was a lamb led to the slaughter. In order to bring us forgiveness and eternal life, Jesus faced hatred, violence, and death. We should be faithful to Jesus by being willing to suffer like Jesus. But we should make sure that we suffer for Jesus. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, on my account, you will be brought before authorities. We should suffer because we are witnessing to Jesus, not for foolish reasons. 1 Peter 2 verse 20 says, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? 
Uh, I've recently heard about a Western missionary living in an area in a country where he shouldn't have been living. But he was pretty gung-ho, he was overconfident, and inevitably he was kidnapped by extremists. And his country paid a ransom in order to secure his release. And now that only increases the likelihood of other missionaries being kidnapped. You see, that's not suffering on account of Jesus. That's suffering for being foolish. Here's another example. Say if you're a health professional who's a Christian and you use most of your work hours telling people about Jesus instead of treating people, and say you get suspended, your registration gets suspended for doing this, well, that's not suffering on account of Jesus. That's being foolish. Suffer like Jesus for Jesus. And Jesus gives us another way that we can be faithful to him. In verse 40, Jesus said, Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And Jesus talks about how people should treat his messengers. If, in fact, you welcome those sent by Jesus, it is as though you are welcoming Jesus himself. And for this, you will receive a heavenly reward. And further, in Matthew's gospel, in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus makes quite a pointed statement about those who claim to be Christians but fail to faithfully care for the followers of Jesus. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And here by Jesus making mention of brothers and sisters who are in desperate need, who are imprisoned and thirsty and hungry and needing clothes, it seems quite likely that Jesus is talking about persecuted followers of his. And Jesus' final answer to those who didn't care for those who've been persecuted is quite damning. Talk is cheap, Jesus is saying, unless you show faithfulness in action. By caring for the least of my brothers and sisters, you will face condemnation. Uh, According to the Open Doors website, Pakistan is ranked as the fifth hardest country in the world to be a Christian. Uh, Asiya Bibi was harvesting berries with a group of women and she was told by the women to go and fetch water for them to drink. And Bibi stopped herself to take a drink of water from a metal cup that was lying next to a wall. And a neighbor stopped her and told her off for drinking from the same utensil that Muslims drink from because Bibi was considered unclean as a Christian. And the women made derogatory statements about Christianity and demanded that Bibi convert to Islam. And this is what Asiya Bibi said to them. I believe in my religion and in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the sins of mankind. What did your prophet Muhammad ever do to save mankind? And why should it be me that converts instead of you? And for saying this, 
Asiya Bibi was charged with blasphemy against Muhammad and she was imprisoned for nine years and sentenced to be executed on death row. And most of those years she spent in solitary confinement. And over those years, after a series of court trials and appeals and the murder of two politicians who supported Bibi, plots by fellow inmates to murder her and riots around the country by hardline Muslim groups and media attention from all over the world, Asiya Bibi was eventually freed in 2018. And her family offered asylum in another country where she now lives. And here's the great thing, right? On the Barnabas fund website a few months ago, you can actually give money towards buying a house for Asiya Bibi and her family, including a daughter with disability. After all these hard years of standing for Jesus in the face of such hatred, that is a small thing to do, isn't it, for Asiya Bibi? Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Be faithful to Jesus by caring for those who have suffered for Jesus. And there are brothers and sisters in our own church who have faced difficult persecution. And there are ways that you can show them practical love and care and prayer. Come and talk with one of the pastors if you're not sure how to help. But you can also inform yourself as to how to pray and how you can support your brothers and sisters all around the world who are being persecuted. Websites like Open Doors or Voice of the Martyrs or the Barnabas Fund will keep you informed about how to care and be faithful to those Jesus loves. Well, let me apply some of these verses a bit more. If we are to be faithful to our master, we should have a constant desire to know our master, Jesus. I'm always struck by the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And what strikes me is Paul's constant desire to know Christ. And that was the foundation of his willingness to suffer for Christ. Paul didn't pursue suffering for the sake of suffering. He wasn't a masochist. No, Paul was willing to suffer because he wanted to know Jesus more and more. He wanted to be like Jesus more and more. I find these words challenging because I wonder how much I really desire to know my master Jesus. Like the Apostle Paul, I wonder how much I, I treasure his death and resurrection for me. I wonder how much I seek to imitate him in my life. And I wonder how much my desire for comfort and for convenience and how little I suffer for Jesus actually reflects how little I actually know Jesus. And on the flip side of this, I wonder also how much I am missing out on in my Christian life because something that costs very little is worth very little. Uh, the Bishop Polycarp of Smyrna died in 155 AD at the hands of the Roman proconsul for not 
renouncing Christianity. At the hands, uh, uh, he was burned alive at the stake and is recorded as having said this before he died. 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I now blaspheme my king and saviour? I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of martyrs I may share the cup of Christ. It's also recorded that he refused to be nailed to the stake to hold him in place while he burned. Instead, he said God would enable him to remain on the pyre and endure the flames. You see, Polycarp knew his saviour. That's why he could be faithful to the very end. To be faithful to Jesus, we need to know Jesus more and more. And this brings us to our second point, be fearless. One of the consistent themes in the second half of Matthew 10 is Jesus telling his disciples not to be afraid. Yes, there will be suffering for the gospel, but followers of Jesus need not fear. Have a look at verse 16 first. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Uh, this verse is quite well known, and in its context, it's about how Christians should respond to persecution. But what does it mean? Now, the sheep are, of course, followers of Jesus. Now, note here, they're not the lost sheep. These are actually sheep that have been found by Jesus, and now Jesus is sending them out to proclaim the gospel amongst wolves. And the wolves are those who oppose Jesus and his gospel. Think of the Pharisees in the gospel who opposed Jesus. Now, Jesus is telling the sheep that when you face persecution by wolves, you should act as both a snake and a dove. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, think of snake. Now, immediately when we think of snake in the Bible, we, we probably think of the serpent in Genesis who was act actively deceitful and full of lies. And, and I don't think Jesus is actually saying that to his disciples, that when you're persecuted, it's okay to lie. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what Jesus means is something different. You know, when you go bushwalking during summer and, and you're worried about stepping on snakes, it's often we think the snake that's going to bite us. But more likely than not, the snake is actually going to slither away. You see, snakes are very shrewd at self-preservation. Snakes actually know when to run. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. You need to be shrewd enough to know when to face persecution and when to actually run away from it. And this makes sense of verse 23. Uh, Jesus says, when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Jesus is saying to his followers, don't be a sucker for punishment. If you can get out of a difficult situation, then do so. A, a snake's first in instinct is to run, not sink its venom into its victim. The Apostle Paul knew when to get persecuted for the gospel and when to run. In Acts 22, we see this incident when Paul is actually arrested in Jerusalem and he's about to get flogged. And then he pulls this card out from the deck. He says, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? 
And the Roman commander was alarmed when Paul said this because this was not how you treat a Roman citizen. And so Paul actually escaped that flogging. That was a shrewd move by Paul. And you see, being shrewd doesn't mean being scared. Paul wasn't scared. He was being smart because it meant that he ended up in Rome and he could have more opportunities to testify about Jesus. Uh, Let me take a moment to explain what the rest of verse 23 means. Truly I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now on first reading, we might assume that when Jesus is talking about the Son of Man coming, he's talking about his second coming, which of course would make his statement here untrue. But you see, I think the Son of Man coming could also be taken as a display of Jesus coming in power which he does in the resurrection. So I think this is one likely explanation of this verse, that the disciples would see Jesus coming in power before they finished witnessing to Israel when they witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, let's continue on. Being a dove is to be blameless and innocent in our dealing with others. Now, people may bring false and trumped-up charges against us, as they did with Jesus or Asia Bibi, but we must make sure that our behavior is innocent and righteous before God. We must not be the ones who cause harm, because doves are not harmful. And if we are charged and brought before courts, we also need not fear because of this next promise in verse 19. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. God will give us words to respond. God, our father, promises to empower the believer by the spirit to keep witnessing to the son. And it is through the spirit that the very presence of Jesus is with the suffering believer. Jesus made that great promise at the end of Matthew's gospel, surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. The believer is never alone, even in the worst situation, because Jesus will be present and helping them through the Holy Spirit. And even though words will be given to the believer in the most dire circumstances, it doesn't mean that in normal situations of suffering and persecution, that the believer should not be prepared. 1 Peter 3 says to believers that we should always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. A few years ago, during the marriage equality referendum, I was once asked by someone, why doesn't your church get with the program and just allow people who want to get married to get married? Now, in response to a question like that, I actually need to prayerfully prepare. I actually need to think of a biblical, a caring, a thoughtful, a personal response that will actually point someone to Jesus. I should be ready to answer that question in a Christ-honoring yet respectful way, even if someone asks me in a hostile way. Uh, Jesus gives us another reason not to fear in verse 26. So do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed 
that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Jesus is the light that comes into a dark world to expose sin by proclaiming the gospel. And his followers are also bringing light to what is hidden in darkness. Sin thrives in the darkness and followers of Jesus who experience persecution are going to feel the pointy end of this darkness when they are persecuted. But it should not discourage them from proclaiming the gospel when all will be revealed by God on that final day of judgment. Nothing that was hidden will be hidden anymore. Which leads to verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Death is a real possibility for those who stand for Christ and proclaim him. But for the believer, fear of man is replaced by a healthy fear of God. For persecution can only take our mortal lives. For the one that entrusts themselves to Jesus, there is eternal glory. For those who persecute the people of Jesus, there is a more terrifying reality that awaits, eternal destruction. And Jesus uses this to encourage his followers, entrust yourselves to the judgment of God. The God who cares for the sparrows will care for you in his final judgment. You may lose your lives in this world, but you will not lose eternity with God. And when you are not worried about eternity, and when you are not scared of the great enemy death, you can actually live a fearless and selfless life. One of the things that strikes me about the pandemic is how scared people are of dying. It is a fear that I see is absolutely paralyzing for people. But Christians need not live like that. We live with a freedom that is full of loving service of others because we know that the best life is yet to come. Well, let me apply this. We need to hold the course as the seas get rougher. Increasingly in Australia, I think it's going to get harder to make a stand for Jesus, especially if we actively proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Yes, Jesus promises that the harvest is plentiful, but we will grieve at the cost. The cost for ourselves, for our children. We will see the cost in our children being discouraged and isolated. We may miss job opportunities or we may even lose our jobs because we don't agree with particular agendas in the workplace. We might be regarded as religious zealots regardless of how sensitive and gracious we are. We may be brought before human rights commissions. And so be it. We must hold the course. And that means being faithful to Jesus. But it doesn't mean being foolish, does it? We must be like doves, never vengeful, never hateful, because Jesus never was. We should avoid persecution where possible, like 
snakes, but we should be fearless. We should not fear man and seek man's approval because we entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly in this life and the life to come. We must hold the course because the world that hates us, a world that sits under God's judgment, needs the gospel more than ever. Uh, the Sentinelese people live on North Sentinel Island, which are part of the Andaman Islands, which belong to India. And this people group have lived largely untouched for thousands of years. And the Sentinelese are especially hostile to outsiders, having previously killed visitors to their island. And the Indian government has also banned visitors to the island, one reason being the risk of infection uh, infectious diseases that might kill the Sentinelese people because they have no immunity. Uh, in 2018, after years of physical preparation and learning culture and linguistics and how to survive in hard situations, John Chow, a 26-year-old American missionary, bribed some fishermen to take him to the island and he attempted to make contact with the Sentinelese by giving gifts to them and, and trying to be as non-threatening to them as possible. A young boy shot an arrow towards John's chest that struck his Bible, and John retreated to the fisherman's boat. Undeterred, he decided that he would ask the fisherman the next day to just leave him at the island regardless of what would happen next. And on November 16, 2018, he wrote in his journal to his family, Brian and Marilyn, mum and dad. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. Don't retrieve my body. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshipping in their own language, as Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10 states. I love you all, and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Soli Deo Gloria. John. The next day, John Chow was killed by the Sentinelese. And his body has still not yet been retrieved from North Sentinel Island. And media around the world mocked John Chow, a deluded Christian colonialist, a stupid and reckless backpacker, imposing disease and antiquated beliefs on a noble people who have the right to be left alone. And John Chow was the butt of many jokes in comedy routines. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all of John's approach. He was a bit of a lone ranger. He wasn't sent by a church. He wasn't part of a team with support and accountability. And he caused others to break the law. And members of John's own Christian family thought he was stubborn and reckless. But the example of John Chow also challenges me. In a few very important ways, he gets it right. 
according to Jesus. John was driven by compassion for the Sentinelese people because they need to hear the gospel of Jesus because there is a fate awaiting them that is worse than death. And someone has to take the gospel to them. And John was willing to try. And if we are willing to proclaim the gospel like John did, we should expect to suffer. We should expect the world to mock us, to not understand us, to be willing to be hated by the world, just as John Chow was hated by the world. And ultimately, I think John Chow's example unsettles me because I'm not sure if my love for Jesus is as single-minded as his was. Listen to that last line of his journal again. I love you all and I pray none of you love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. Persevere in persecution. Be faithful to Jesus and be fearless. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we give you thanks for the gospel of Jesus, that we can know him and be found righteous in him, a treasure that is worth everything, to which everything else is compared rubbish. Gracious Father, please help us to be faithful to Jesus, to be willing to suffer for his name and to be willing to suffer like him. Father, we are afraid often. We are afraid of others. We are afraid to be rejected. We are afraid of hardship. Help us, Father, to be fearless because we entrust ourselves to you. And help us to do that for the sake of those who hate us, who mock us, who laugh at us. Because we know, Father, how much they need your mercy and your gospel. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.